Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 2. I'm Bethany, your host, and joining me as a guest today is indie author J.D. Evans. And today we're going to be discussing fantasy romance, which I'm very excited about. And one new thing to announce is you can now support Chapter 3 Podcast through our Patreon. If you're interested in getting early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and other cool perks, check out our Patreon, which is linked down. Down below. With that said, before we start chatting with Jen, first, it's time for On My Radar, where I share 10 upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance. I'll give you my top nine, and then my guest is going to have the opportunity to share one of theirs. The books for today's episode are going to be released between October 14th and October 27th, 2020. With the exception of Jen's guest recommendation, she is free to suggest any upcoming release. Beginning with Romance, on October 20th from Berkeley Romance, we have Snapped by by Alexa Martin. This is one of her contemporary sports romances, which are really popular. I haven't read them yet, but I've heard really good things about them. This one is following the strategic communications manager for a football team and their star quarterback, who becomes the first player to take a knee during the national anthem. This one sounds interesting. I'm always a fan of romance that tackles bigger issues, and it looks like this one is going to be doing that. Then on October 27th from Berkeley Romance, we're getting Crazy Stupid Bromance, book three in the Bromance Book Club series by Lissa K. Adams. I have loved both of the other books. They've got lots of humor and meta commentary on the romance genre, which is always a good time. This one features a friends to lovers trope, which I'm also always a fan of. Definitely going to be reading that one really soon. And then also on October 27th from Dial Press, we're getting a new book from Sophie Kinsella. Love Your Life follows a woman who ditches her dating app for a writer's retreat in Italy, where she ends up meeting a guy. But it's complicated. Moving on to speculative releases. This includes sci-fi, fantasy, and kind of crossover titles. On October 20th, we have three books to talk about. First up, HarperCollins is releasing Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth. This is a gothic horror comedy centered on a cursed New England boarding school for girls that's been called a wickedly whimsical celebration of the art of storytelling, sapphic love, and the rebellious female spirit. That one sounds great. Then from Balzer and Bray, we're getting a YA fantasy that looks perfect for colder weather. Among the Beasts and Briars by Ashley Poston is a fairy tale with cursed books, dark secrets, and magical animal companions. Then from Solaris, we have Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. This is a sci-fi novel that follows a non-binary artist who isn't a fighter, but is drafted to paint glyphs on the military's automaton army. It has themes of war, colonization, and rebellion, plus a dragon automaton, which is pretty cool. Then on October 27th, I've got three more books to share. First up from Daw, we're getting How the Multiverse Got Its Revenge, book two in The Thorn Chronicles by Kay Eason. I actually haven't read this series, but it looks like an intriguing sci-fi fantasy blend with a tongue-in-cheek sort of humor. Rory Thorne is no longer a princess, but now a space pirate and must use the fairy blessings that were gifted to her in book one to change the multiverse. Sounds like a good time. Then from Jimmy Patterson, we have the first book in a new YA fantasy series from Carrie Maniscalco, author of the very popular Stalking Jack the Ripper series. This is Kingdom of the Wicked, and it follows a witch seeking vengeance on her sister's killer. And then finally, there's a cool collab happening that I wanted to mention between Soman Chinani, author of the School for Good and Evil series, a middle grade series that I really love, and Victoria Aveyard, author of the best-selling Red Queen series. 
they are collaborating on a graphic novel called Red School that's going to be a crossover between their two worlds. Uh, very excited for this one. I pre-ordered my copy. Part one releases October 27th and part two is out December 2020. If you want a copy, you can go to their website red-school.com to pre-order. This isn't going to be available anywhere else and they've got different packages you can pre-order either digitally or physically, which sounds pretty awesome. All right. With that said, please join me in welcoming JD Evans or Jen to the show. Hi, if you want to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm super excited about it. So I am an indie author, uh, self-published indie author, and I write primarily fantasy romance and um so, and that's obviously how you and I had met. You mm-hmm. had read my book, which was awesome of you. Um, <laughs> well, it's also a fantastic book. So oh, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I live in North Carolina. I have one kid with another one brewing here. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, since I write fantasy romance, that's also primarily what I read. But I wanted to, as a holdover maybe between now and when all your awesome sounding releases are coming out, I wanted to bring up Grace Draven is probably my favorite fantasy romance author. She, Yeah, she is. And she she kind of was the one that made me realize there was such a thing as fantasy romance. <laughs> I thought I was just weird. <laughs> no. <laughs> but anyway, she it's not upcoming, it's today. Her Ippos King released today, which is the third book in her Wraith King series, which began with Radiance. Oh, awesome. I yes. love Radiance. I haven't read the other book in the series yet, but I Radiance is fantastic. Radiance is, I think it's funny how it happens, but like sometimes the first is the best and I, I too love Radiance, just a fantastic book. So I am excited about the Ippos King and that's probably the one that I would bring up as a release. It's today, which is October 6th when we're recording. So it'll hold people over till everything else comes out. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, guys. So go check out Grace Draven's new release if you're really itching for some fantasy romance. Awesome. Thank you. That's that's perfect. Yeah, it's funny. Liana, who was my guest on the last episode, she's the reason I read Radiance. She, it's one of her favorite books that she's reread multiple times, and she finally convinced me that I should read it Oh, that's it awesome. I thought, for some reason, I thought it was the other way around. That's so funny. No. no <laughs> that's great. No. <laughs> you would think, because I read a lot more romance in exactly. general. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's a, it's probably my favorite of hers. I like most of Grace Draven's work. That's the, definitely the top of the list. Her other ones, I think um, Entreat Me was a good one. That was a Beauty and the Beast retelling that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But Radiance is just so... I don't remember who said it, but somebody said it's like a warm hug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it is. And I think this might be something interesting to talk about today because we are talking about fantasy romance. And I think there's multiple directions you can take that. And so we'll talk mm-hmm. about some of those different things. But one thing that's interesting to me about Radiance is there's enough world building to where you get a sense of the world, but it's really focused on primarily on the relationship. And I think mm-hmm. fantasy romance can vary in degree of how much external plot versus the relationship is the the focus of it. Absolutely. Yeah. But that one is really about the relationship. And one thing I love about it is part of why I think I recommend it to a lot of people is there's such good communication. It's Mm -hmm. kind of this arranged marriage, friends to lovers, slow burn, which 
all great tropes, but you know, normally you have this kind of angst or miscommunication. That's not the case here. They're really good communicators. They have a great relationship and any conflict in this book is external to them, which, which I, I kind of liked. I liked it too. It was a little refreshing because I think, and you know, everybody likes different things in their books, obviously. So absolutely, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying one thing is better for the, than the other, but for me personally, it was refreshing to see like two decent people trying to navigate something that would be fairly difficult, you know, and they, they did it together, which was really nice. And I, I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. And I do think with, with fantasy romance, um, I think it's both, um, a boon to readers, but also can be a little bit difficult to navigate in that what you were talking about, which is the range of world building you get. You can get anywhere from a fantasy with just a subplot where you get the kind of typical adult fantasy with that heavy world building to mm-hmm. something more like Radiance, where it's what I would call a more classic romance, where it's very mm-hmm. much about the romance and less about the world, although she always does a great job with dropping that stuff in. Yeah, well, and, and I think, you know, you can talk about genre romance, where the primary plot is going to be that relationship mm-hmm. versus a fantasy with a heavy romantic element to it is a very different thing. And I think what's interesting, I want to talk about your books well, I still need to read the next ones, but I read the first one and I loved it. (laughs) I have seen your TBR, my dear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but I, I, what I think is so interesting about the way that you approached it is it really feels like it walks the balance in between the two where it's the romance is much more the focus than it would be in just a fantasy, but it's also got a lot of that plot and world building um, that you might expect from a genre fantasy, which I, I, th- I think makes it a great crossover for fantasy readers who are nervous about getting into romance and want to dabble in it, or vice versa, romance readers who want to kind of dabble in high fantasy. I feel like your book kind of straddles that line in a way that I don't see a lot doing. Thank you. Yeah, I um so that and that's in the indie world. So when I just for reference, when I say indie, when I say indie, I'm typically talking about a self-published author. There's an indie where you're published by a small independent press as well, and I think people that read traditional publishing, that's what they think of. So just so they know, I when I say indie, I'm talking about a self-published author. So in this in the indie world, we separate fantasy romance into two, which is fantasy romance and romantic fantasy. And um, yeah, I kind of wish it would take on, but it's one of those things where romance kind of suffers from, there's so much in there. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of, it can be hard to segment, you know, it's like the sweet versus the steamy and that where do you fall in that range? And it's the same right. with fantasy romance. Do you want your fantasy romance to be romance with a sprinkling of fantasy or the other way around (laughs) and and mine do they kind of sit right in the middle of that I call it a fantasy romance because if the romance disappeared there wouldn't be a ton of book left right whereas with romantic fantasy we're typically talking about a book where that fantasy is there or I'm sorry the romance is there but it's secondary and not completely necessary to the plot right so yeah. it's interesting. <laughs> That's such an interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that that was the way it got segmented there. Well, and we should tell everybody because I haven't yet. But your first book is Rain and Ruin, and I think you have three out now in the series. I 
Yeah, I have three of what is going to be a six-book series out. Oh. I'm currently drafting book four, and I'm about to put out a prequel. It was supposed to be a novella, but it's not. <laughs> as, as things happen. <laughs> as things go. <laughs> um, anyway, that should come out next month. And then book four will be in the winter here. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I can't believe how much you've been pushing out this year. Well, you know, one of the things I did was I had I wrote book one and two before I started publishing so that I could put them out fast. You know, as a self-published author, you are a very small minnow among a <laughs> sea of many. And mm -hmm. the marketing can be really difficult. So it helps if people don't have to wait a year for your second book if they've never heard of you, you know? Right. So um, I waited and then I was kind of putting out Rain and Ruin while I edited Storm and Shield while I wrote Siren and Scion, wow. <laughs> which, um, <laughs> yes, I will not be doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> So, wait, and book four comes out when? It'll be winter. My ultimate goal is probably, well, I guess spring, March. And we'll see because we are due to collect a second baby here in right. February. So we'll see. You know how they, they tend to throw a wrench into things. They do, yes. <laughs> very true. Okay, so, but with the novella that is no longer a novella, mm. that's four books in your debut year. It is. And they're not it's short books. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't read me yet, my dears, I'm wordy. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> But they're good words. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I um, Yeah, it is four books. And it's funny. I'm one of these people that kind of puts my head down and plows ahead. And then you kind of stop and you look back and you're like, oh, that's a lot. You it know? Lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. so so I've got to ask, how how does one accomplish this? I mean, you, have, you already have one child, another one on the way. How, what does writing look like for you? How do you produce so much? You know, it's funny because in the indie author world, I'm actually a slow producer. So I'll let that, <laughs> I'll let that settle in for a second. Um, I, <laughs> some people can put out a book a month. Now they're not my books with 400 pages. They're going to mm -hmm. be your typical, you know, like paranormal or urban fantasy length we typically talk about words. So 90,000 words is somewhere closer to two or 300 pages. Mm -hmm. So my writing process has evolved as my <laughs> child has evolved. You know, sure. when he was a little younger, I could get up way before everybody and write for a few couple hours. Now I can't do that. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, you know, it's interesting to be in the creative community because I see a lot of people saying this, whatever project they were working on during quarantine, during all the events of 2020 here have really, they've really stuttered and that the prequel was supposed to be done in like May, you know, so, but my writing process is, uh, some people can fit it in. They're amazing. They do it on their phone. They do it in 30 minute increments. I can't work like that because a book is like a movie in my head. And every mm -hmm. time I get interrupted, it like goes away. And so 
I need big chunks. And so I, my process looks like my husband doing a lot of work. <laughs> That's what mine looks like. <laughs> so I get up in the morning and I write, and then, uh, we, we basically trade the kiddo back and forth. Cause he's, he's only three. And then on the weekend, sometimes my husband will take him out to the park for a day or something. And Mm-hmm. It's really just generosity of my husband's time. That's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes such a huge difference. And I mean, you know, I mean, I don't write, but I do YouTube and podcast and things. And part of how all of that happens is also my husband does yeah. a good bit. And now we have a babysitter. Finally, we didn't for six months with COVID. Yeah. And it is life changing. <laughs> yeah. It makes such a big difference just mentally too, because you, you know, kids, they, they need a lot of that mental energy. And so yeah. even when you get that break, it takes a little bit to get the, the brain revved back up into whatever it is you're working on, or at least it does for me, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like, especially with writing, cause I, I, you know, I used to write and one day maybe I would love to write some more, but it, it requires, time and energy and mental energy that mm-hmm. I feel like I don't have as much of these days. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The creative well is a little different for everybody, however they apply it in their life. But I've found with writing, there has to be empty space in my life for that to like fill back up. And if mm-hmm. it's just, you know, if you're busy with a full-time job or with your kids, which are a full-time job or with <laughs> other projects or whatever, you know, there's, there's only so much of that to go around. So you have to, you have to find your balance or whatever you want to call it to refill that, right? that well of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. So a, co- a couple other questions I have. One is, did you always, was indie self-publishing always the plan? Did you always know that's what you wanted to do? Is that what you always want to do going forward? Or are you interested in a blended sort of approach? Grace Draven, I think, is a great example of somebody who started off self-published and now is kind of a hybrid author. Yes. So, no, um, self-publishing was not my ultimate plan. I wanted to try to publish traditionally and then go self-publishing if it didn't work. My sister, my little sister, (laughs) is also an author. She writes middle grade YA fantasy. um, And she, and it's very niche. It's like, you know, are you familiar with Warrior Cats? Yeah, I haven't read them, but I know people who are very Right. So she writes that kind of, and I'm going to call it animal fantasy. They're griffins. It's kind of Lion King meets Lord of the Rings. And anyway, because it's so niche, you know, it was hard to sell it. So she did a Kickstarter campaign that SFWA, Science Fiction Fantasy Writers of America, actually Mm -hmm. featured as like the way to do a Kickstarter campaign for this (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah, she had like stuffies, the little (laughs) stuffed animals. It was really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. awesome. Anyway, and she has just a her fans love it, but it's not, it wasn't really the kind of thing that traditional was looking for. And so she was a big champion of self publishing. Mm-hmm. I hit a point in my writing where I felt I was like ready. And so the cool difference between self publishing and traditional publishing, which I think was really highlighted when the pandemic hit and so many debut authors were delayed a year or more, you know, one of the reasons we did the social distance book fest and everything. Mm -hmm. 
the flexibility of self-publishing and the timeline is is whatever you want it to be. Right. And so I was ready. We were kind of, my husband owned his own business at the time and we were kind of we were in Montana and it's Montana's a very poor state. <laughs> it's very hard to make a living there and so I I just decided I was going to do it and and I did. <laughs> Which and it was very scary and it was very by the seat of my pants. You know, I had I had no idea what I was doing and it went pretty well, but I do hope to do something very much like what Grace Draven did someday, which is a, I'd call it hybrid, yeah, to also mm-hmm. traditionally publish something. I think that would be great. Well, I, I personally I am a big fan of your writing. I it's funny too because I know you like we we know each other well enough. I know you don't talk about your own writing as often as maybe we should. But <laughs> yeah. I really, really loved and was so impressed by your debut that I talked about it a lot on my channel. And I cannot tell you, I've had several people come back to me and say, so I decided to try this because of you. And oh my God, it's so good. I'm like, I know. That's why I said you should read it. <laughs> I have had, I see a number of people on like Instagram say they picked it up because of you and your review. And it does, it makes me really happy. <laughs> I love that. Well, it's it is. It's just the the quality of it is really really high, and I love that it's a good crossover. So it's the kind of thing that I could see, like you know, a tour.com or a Harper Voyager picking up. You know, because like I think with the fantasy part of it, that's the where the world building is so strong. I could see it working for that kind of thing. So anyway, if they if if there are editors looking to acquire a good fantasy romance <laughs> series who happened to, for some reason, listen to this podcast. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> there will be contact information for Jen. Thank you for the recommendation. <laughs> that would be kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you never know. You don't. And you know, it's interesting. You might actually know more about this than me. Mm. It seems to me that fantasy romance is so different between traditional and self published or indie publishing because when I see people recommending fantasy romance and traditional publishing you get a couple of kinds you get Mm the YA that's not quite YA and I'm not Mm going to name names here (laughs) and then you get um you get like the paranormal romances but then when you go into indie you get the more adult fantasy romance Mm -hmm. And I may be wrong because I am very immersed in the indie community. So that's, I see a lot of that in my feeds and stuff, but it's interesting to me because when I'm seeing these traditional ones recommended, they're by authors that are considered YA authors. And, Hmm. you know, and I know I've seen all these discussions about YA and adult and new adult and all that stuff, but it's pretty Mm -hmm. interesting because then you run back into that problem. I kind of sort of touched on earlier, which is the, are, are you reading the sweet level of romance where you just kind of want that tension in there, but you don't necessarily want that open door steamy scenes, or do you Mm -hmm. want, do you want the open door? And um, if you're wondering, I write open door. (laughs) It's very open door. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like also well done. I don't know. That's an, I mean, people could wonder too, how you tackle, we could talk about this, but like how you tackle writing steamy scenes is, is interesting. But yeah, I think it's tricky with YA because it covers such a range of ages, right? YA mm-hmm. starts at 13 and goes up theoretically to 18, but also includes a lot of adult readers. And sometimes you get YA books that are 
you know, they're YA, but they're mm-hmm. upper YA. So they're targeted right. at like 16 and up, for instance. Right. Um, and so then you might get, you might get more of those open door scenes. I, I think the trick is because it, because you're right. Like I think one series and they're now correcting that, that was mm-hmm. originally published as YA that should have been adults. And I yes. think the author wanted it to be adults Yes, is um, the Court of Thorns and Roses series yep. by Sarah J. Mass. And What's interesting to me, and I think this is maybe shifting in traditional publishing, is for a long time, I don't think there was a name for fantasy romance. They were just publishing Mm -hmm. it as fantasy. And then people would be like, wait, (laughs) what is this? What did I I exactly did not expect? Yeah. And, And so I think some of the criticism of the Sarah J. Mass books, for instance, comes from people who wanted fantasy mm-hmm. and got fantasy romance. But right. if you read it as a fantasy romance, I think there's a lot more to recommend it. And they are now being published as an adult series. Yeah, they recovered them and everything. Yep. It's yep. interesting, too. And I think probably there's a lot of YA, because it's so such a large genre, is also one of the biggest selling genres. And so mm-hmm. I think sometimes maybe publishers put something into YA because YA readers are so voracious. Yeah. You know, and romance readers are also voracious, <laughs> but um, <laughs> they aren't quite as vocal and they're not all of them are in that kind of target audience that you're trying to get that are going to paste it all over Instagram and Twitter. And, you know, mm. I think some of it falls under that. Like if I market this as an adult fantasy romance, is it going to get the attention it would if I market it as a YA fantasy? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and I do think, I do think there is a way to write fantasy romance for upper YA and include sex scenes. Absolutely. Where it's done in a way that's appropriate for the age. So for for me, I don't know if you've read this, but I think a good example of this to me was Serpent and Dove, which came out last year. I haven't read that one, but I read Empire of Sand by Tasha Suri. And I think it would probably... That's not why It's not? Oh, I thought it was. It's See? Not. Okay. No. See? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a really good fantasy romance. It's fantastic, but it's uh, it's adult. Well, and, and so this is another interesting thing about marketing and the way things get talked about. And I've seen this conversation happening on Twitter a lot lately, that frequently women... Mm writers like women yes. who write in fantasy or horror genre in genre fiction especially women of color but women in general yes. often people assume that their books are YA yes. or talk about them as if they're YA when they're not yeah. which is so interesting as a phenomenon but yeah no um Empire of Sand is is phenomenal I as think if you want like a real if you dig in on yeah <laughs> Um, if you dig in on her on her steamy scenes I think that that level would be okay for upper YA. Yeah. Even if it wasn't an adult. So Serpent and Dove is on my list. <laughs> I warned you I was about a year behind. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Well, book two just came out, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think Serpent and Dove is a good one. And it's another one that I think the people who didn't like it, most of them were wanting a fantasy and not mm-hmm. a fantasy romance. Absolutely. Yeah. And that one, there is one somewhat open door steamy scene but it's not you know I mean it's like the language that's being used is not maybe as graphic as things on the higher erotic end but it is open door and but it's done in a way that I think is appropriate even emotionally and conceptually for an older YA audience I Mm -hmm. think it's interesting 
that there's so many different levels to how you can write scenes that way. Like Absolutely. I believe, and we actually talked about this briefly, but Jordan, if, if Waco, am I saying that? Okay. She brought up a point that I thought was fascinating about YA versus adult, which was sometimes the, the violence also isn't like leveled correctly because she was talking about a book. She wrote that the violence level was definitely adult, but they put it into YA because the steam level was YA in their opinion. And I think that's interesting too, because you get these two values of sex versus violence and which one, where's the the level cap for the age group that you're reading. And I, I just thought it was an interesting conversation. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, and I know for myself, because I grew up in a fairly conservative family, and Mm. definitely my parents were much more okay with me watching movies or reading books that had violence than things that had explicit sexual content. (laughs) And I just find that fascinating. For me, you know, I'm a romance author, so I'm all about sex being okay, like not being taboo. And especially younger, younger people, I'm not talking really young, but like near adult people, you know, being exposed to romance is great for this because Mm -hmm. you can see all these people going through these relationships and what's healthy or not healthy, or, you know, it's kind of a safe space to explore stuff. Yeah. And I just think that's, it's so interesting that I think particularly in America, because I also grew up in a pretty conservative family where they did definitely limit the violence I was fed and also the romance, but much less so. Hmm. Um, so it's just interesting. It's just a, kind of an interesting psychological look at marketing and readers and, and values yeah. <laughs> and where they come from in the history of, of publishing and just America being having the history that we do religiously and conservatively and those kinds of things. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, one thing that I think I've come to because I, I started reading romance later in life, partly probably because of <laughs> because of my upbringing. But one thing that I've I've come to realize, I think, is that at least parts of the romance genre, I would probably prefer to give to teenagers who are wanting to know Mm -hmm. more or curious or exploring things, rather than some of the, you know, visual content that's out there. Because genre romance, especially now, frequently does a much better job of focusing on consent. It prioritizes the female experience mm-hmm. in in sex rather than just the male experience. And I think that those things are so important. And I, you know, I almost wonder too, even for, you know, not just teen girls, but teen boys as well. I, I think on both sides, that could be beneficial of, of girls having some better idea of what they should expect when they do eventually get into a more intimate relationship, but also for teen boys who are about to be men recognizing you know like oh it shouldn't be all about me and like there needs to be really good consent in this situation yeah there was a great podcast and or not I'm sorry not a podcast a TED talk um a year or two ago and I I would have to look up who it was but she had a line in there that I just I really liked very specifically talking about you know, teen boys going through puberty and in the age of information, (laughs) finding what they're going to find. And she's like, you know, bring sex out in the open. Don't make it taboo. Make it something you talk about. Because if you keep it in those dark corners, they're going to find those sites and they're going to learn about it 
on those sites and nobody needs that, you know? (laughs) And, um, and I agree with you about romance and it's one of the reasons I love the romance community, the discussions that they have and the things that they demand and the, the books that they write, you know, because romance, you know, this, but just for the benefit Mm -hmm. of everybody else, romance occupies about 75% of the market on books. That's how many (laughs) romance readers they are. And the cool thing about that is, like you said, romance prioritizes interpersonal relationships. It's about people growing and adapting to each other. It's about caring for somebody other than yourself. It's about women and romance is great. It's better, not great, but better (laughs) at kind of starting this... (laughs) this diversity that we need in books and stories and cultures. And they just kind of, they assimilate it a little bit better. And I, I'm huge about the opportunity that romance provides for readers to explore things that maybe their parents aren't telling them, or maybe they've been exposed to unhealthy versions of, I started reading romance pretty young. I'm not going to lie. I read Clan of the Cave Bear, which isn't, I guess it's wrong. It had, you know, open door scenes in it. Um, in seventh grade, <laughs> which is way early. <laughs> but, you know, that was back when it was very much that alpha male kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what I was exposed to. And I was simultaneously exposed to, um, I grew up in a military family. And I grew up with this idea that femininity was like a weakness, was like a an inferior thing not on purpose like it wasn't like my dad was feeding me this stuff but it was just in these small subtle interactions yeah plus all the movies you watch at that time i'm going to age myself here but you know i grew up watching movies in the late late 80s 90s you know the action movies there's just this kind of it feels subtle but it's pretty blatant once you recognize it reinforcement of the feminine qualities being inferior. And so that's what I like about romance is it equalizes these things and it prioritizes the emotions and the interactions of people, which I love. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, and I think things on that front, a lot of things are slowly getting better. And, and I think one thing that's been interesting for me, once I started reading romance as an adult looking back what I read as a teenager were these Christian romances mm-hmm. that having a couple years back, I did a project where I went and revisited a few of my favorites from when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and I was just horrified. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think horrified. I could reread. Yeah. I couldn't reread the stuff I read as a young person. Most yeah, of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, but in that case, right, there weren't open door scenes, but it, was so unhealthy in terms Mm -hmm. of gender dynamics and expectations and relationships and shaming women. It just, it was not healthy. And it's just interesting to me. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's, um, it's something that I hope as I grow as a writer, I can capture it a little bit better, but it's something that I wanted to focus on when I was writing was the strength of those traits that are traditionally considered feminine. So I think the door to more kind of women-centered fiction in general came with the, I'm going to call her the kick-ass female, right? The 
the one that wielded the swords and ran just as fast and Song of the Lioness, Tamor Pierce's books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, were big. Those. I loved them. I loved all of them. But like that girl, the girl that was a boy in a woman's body. So I think it opened the door, but I also think it kind of reinforced this idea that you have to be more like a man, you know, mm-hmm. not like other girls. And so I like the idea of books that kind of highlight some of those feminine things, which is one of the things I like about Tasha Suri's Empire of Sand Amba books. Like there's a scene in there I remember that she has been stripped of like her veil and her face is exposed to them and she feels very like unarmored. And what I liked about it was that she was talking about beauty as a shield and those clothes making her feel strong. There were two things in there. One, culturally, it's very different because in America, we very much disparage that covering yourself up and the confining of it. And I'm not talking about the the very problematic things associated with that, but that there's these different ideas of what makes you strong. I like to explore that when I'm writing. So in Rain and Ruin, you know, my main character is really intelligent, but she's not, you know, you're not going to find her out anywhere wielding a sword. Right. So those are the books that I'm seeking out right now are ones where you see empathy or social intelligence being something that's more the focus of the book. And you find that a lot in romance. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I love a good kick-ass heroine, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, I do too. I'm not disparaging her. I'm just saying it's one kind. Yeah. No, but that was something that stood out to me as well. Reading Empire of Sand is I feel like Tasha Suri, and I think I've seen her talk about that being an intentional thing where Mm -hmm. she wanted to explore what other types of power or strength Mm -hmm. might exist that are often not noticed or looked down on. And I think that's important. And similarly, something I feel like we're starting to see moving away from this dominant alpha male thing, having to always be what masculine strength looks Mm -hmm. like, or, or even having to have such a sort of binary approach to gender roles and gender stereotypes. And so I'm glad that we're starting to see things that are subverting some of those expectations. Mm-hmm. Yep. I always love it when people, <laughs> I really enjoy reading a book where they subvert gender roles and subvert expectations in yes. an interesting way. This is not a fantasy romance, but I recently read this last month, I read, um, oh goodness, what was it? It was the latest, it was a historical romance. The latest book by Evie Dunmore. Oh, yeah. Um, This is A Rogue of One's Own. Mm -hmm. So she writes historical romances set during the suffragette era, which are really interesting. Mm -hmm. And in A Rogue of One's Own, what I thought was cool is typically, you know, in these sorts of romance books, you get to borrow from one of my my friends, booktuber Mara from Books Like Bubble, talk about how sometimes you get heroes who have pants feelings but can't admit that they have heart feelings and they're you know, yeah <laughs> and, and their emotional journey is recognizing that they actually do have heart feelings as well and typically you'll have this sort of roguish character so what's interesting in a rogue of one's own is that you start off expecting that that's going to be what it is but it, you get you end up with a role reversal where instead the heroine is the one who experiences that and the hero is one who puts on this you know this sort of person persona of being a rogue but secretly inside is this 
like sort of cinnamon roll who's had a thing for one girl since he was a teenager. Oh yeah, so, that's adorable. Like... <laughs> <laughs> a writer friend and I were actually just recently talking about this, the kind of craze over Henry Cavill as the Witcher. And, Henry Cavill, yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason Momoa. And we were talking about it and oh, we were I like, you it's that it's that idea of somebody that looks like they hang heads on the fences outside their compound, but really they're just <laughs> all squishy and soft and they'll march in the women's movement with you you know what I mean (laughs) I love that I love that for those who are listening this is what we call like a a cinnamon roll hero if you don't know is somebody who's just super sweet and squishy inside (laughs) like (laughs) very nice you know who my favorite cinnamon roll hero who is exactly what you're talking about where like externally he looks more intimidating Mm -hmm. than internally isn't is Rafe by Rebecca Weatherspoon have you I haven't but I remember when you were reading it and raving about it and so it's on my list (laughs) and it's as things always are (laughs) yeah it's and it's it's not a very long one, but it's so good. And Rafe is this kind of like buff, tattooed, tall, big guy who's a total cinnamon roll who works as a nanny and is really sweet with kids and really just wonderful. Right. So, yeah, I, I like that sort of thing. I like when things can get subverted in that way. And another thing, okay, <laughs> we're going way <laughs> off fantasy romance, but it's okay. Another thing that I'm discovering is surprisingly rare to find especially in historicals, but that I enjoy is you you don't often find things where you have a dominant female and a submissive hero. Yes. When if that's done well, it can that can be such a cool thing, especially for a historical when women just didn't have a lot of power already. And I think it helps kind of fix some of those power imbalances. Absolutely. Yeah. In a relationship. So if somebody is looking for it, one I would recommend for this is Would I Lie to the Duke by Eva Lee is a fantastic version of that. I think it's just done really, really well. That's, yeah, I haven't seen um, a lot of books like that. But it's nice because the environment or the weather for that is much friendlier than I think it would have been even a few years ago. So yeah. I expect to see more of that type of thing. And I've seen people talking about it, like the Tumblr posts on writing prompts. One of them is the switching, the grumpy one is soft for the sunshine one, where, you know. Mm. Which it sounds mm-hmm. a tiny bit like a rogue of one zone might be a little bit of that, you know, just mm-hmm. those role reversals. I like that too. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it's nice when you can kind of play with different things and not be stuck in something. So I think romance is in a really exciting time across everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, contemporary, historical, fantasy. And I think it's doing a lot of things and maybe partly because the turnaround time for romance is so quick. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it seems more responsive yes. to what's happening culturally. Yes, I agree. I think fantasy romance in particular is a great place to explore these subversions because you can take problems or personalities out of context of culture as we're used to seeing them and it allows you to highlight it or downplay it or get rid of it completely and so that's one of the reasons I like to write in fantasy romance is just you just have this sort of open playground to really dial in something or get rid of something completely and and see what it would be like you know in a different in a different cultural setting so 
that's why I like fantasy yeah, romance. I think that's cool. I think in general, that's something I like about fantasy is the opportunity and sci-fi, I guess, too, but the opportunity to imagine a different sort of world. And, you know, there are books that I've read, for instance, where, you know, it might be a dark and brutal world, mm. but it's never because of, say, homophobia. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Right, like you might have queer characters where they might have bad things happen to them and be oppressed, but it's not because of their sexual identity. You know, I mean, right. so things like that, where I think you can imagine a, a different type of world in different ways. Yes. Yeah. And that's also the reason I'm so excited to see and want, we'll never get enough of diversity of authors coming into these genres. It, you know, it's been too long coming, but to see all the fantasy as it's looked at by people that are not, you know, Midwest white American writers. Yeah. I just love that because it's so, you know, we all grew up with that same, well, if you're American, <laughs> you you grew up with that same medieval Europe-based fantasy, which is awesome. I love it. I love Fae and Norse and all those things, but I really love mm -hmm. seeing different stories and different cultural takes on it. And that's that's what's so cool about fantasy and romance mixed together is is how all those play in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love seeing the way that things are changing and we're getting new authors. And I think too, there there have always been authors of color absolutely. out there. I just think, I do think we're seeing it more broadly. And I think there is a greater recognition. I hope that anybody can read romance about any mm -hmm. kind of person, exactly. right? That, yep. Yeah, there's <laughs> right? It's like, if, yeah, well, it's like if 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 black people can grow up having to read books about white people and have empathy with them in school, white people can read a romance about a black couple. Like it's yes. you know you're not limited to just reading about what you know or what exactly. you're what is your own yeah. And, that, and I think that it's yeah important. it's being highlighted more. It's not you don't have to go search it out as much as you used to. And um, that's what I love about it is being able to browse a sh well before the pandemic, <laughs> being able to browse the shelf at the library and actually see these different, these different yeah. um, takes. So, but yeah, anyway. Well, as opposed to, I remember, you know, a few years ago, we lived in a place where the local library had a separate shelf for African-American romance. Yeah. Like it was a whole, it was its own separate section. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty baffling when you like step back and think about it. You're like, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like this is sort of romance I guess. I don't it's, know. Yeah. it's not a yeah. genre <laughs> well so I think that might be an interesting place to talk about world building and how do you approach world building for your fantasy stories because you definitely don't do the typical sort of medieval no setting. and I think you know but probably listeners might not know I was in the army for about 10 years and I did the usual army things I went to Iraq and I went to Doha, which is, is Qatar, and um, Lebanon. And I worked in the embassy in Lebanon, mm -hmm. helping to stand up a civil affairs team. And civil affairs is a branch of special operations in the army that does, they call it like counterinsurgency, but basically we work with non-governmental organizations and things like that, like USAID to help stabilize regions. Mm -hmm. So when I was there, we were working on Lebanon's schools were in very bad shape and working on projects like that. But anyway, America has this idea of Lebanon. They think Beirut. And when I say Beirut, it conjures a very specific image, especially now since they just had that horrible mm -hmm. explosion. Um, but Lebanon is an incredibly interesting country. The whole Levant 
which is that section of the Mediterranean there with Jordan and Syria and Lebanon, has this incredibly mm-hmm. rich layered history of empires and, you know, takeovers and just this cultural melting pot. And it's, it's stunningly beautiful there. It's, it's the Mediterranean. And I just really loved it. And the people were warm and amazing. And the problem that I had, of course, writing in Lebanon is it's a Muslim country and I am not Muslim, not comfortable tackling, you know, that divide in, in religion. So because I'm a fantasy author and, and reader, I wanted the physical setting of it because you don't see that a lot. You don't see you there's there's been kind of an influx of like Greek and Roman based stuff which I also really enjoy, but not that section of the Mediterranean. And because it was a sort of touched my heart to be there, I wanted to highlight a little bit of it. Yeah. My characters always come first and then I build a world around them. And I often build it as I go, <laughs> which is one of the reasons I'm not a fast writer. Some some writers very intricately plot and then they can just whip out their draft but the plotting process takes a long time and some writers are what we like to call pantsers (laughs) and that's what I am Mm -hmm. and it's always there in the back of my mind the world is kind of building itself up but you have to answer a lot of questions when you're when you're building a world you have to think about in the when I was in the army we called it the second and third order effects of an action so when you when you make a decision, what happens in the circles beyond that, you know, like the ripples in a pond and all the things yeah. that are tied together, politics and economics and the disparity as it comes to people that are in those circles, the, you know, the people that are do the agriculture for a country and the people that are wealthy because of those people and how that interplays. And then for me, basically, I set a character arc for a story. And then I create an environment that makes it difficult for for them to get to the end, you know? (laughs) And um, it's funny, um, actually, one of our friends from Social Distance Book Fest asked me if I was inspired by the Wheel of Time, because in my books, my magic is based on a wheel system. And I thought it was interesting because Mm -hmm. it's possible that it is, (laughs) I read the first three books of that series, but I, um, so many things that happen in my world building are subconscious that I didn't set out Mm -hmm. to be like, yes, I'm going to take this idea from Robert Jordan and a wheel. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And that's the funny thing about world building is you're, you're thinking, or at least I think I'm like, yes, this is completely original. It's amazing. Or what I don't actually think that about my writing, (laughs) but you're like, yes, this is a good idea. But then you realize how much you've drawn from tropes or things you've read or things you've seen, and they just kind of trickle in there. And mm-hmm. I enjoy the process of world building, but it is, it's hard because, you know, you set rules for yourself and then inevitably you run into a problem. <laughs> Especially when you're dealing with magic and you've set rules and they can't just do whatever. And mine are inspired by a number of things. Actually, my magic system has gotten both positive and sort of head scratching attention. <laughs> and um, it's really uh, heavily influenced by astrology. I had a very kind of metaphysical mom. <laughs> and um, so in, in classic kind of Western astrology, your, 
sign dictates a lot of like how you navigate the world and it's it's based on four elements and so I took four elements but I also added two more and then so you'll see like in the books I talk about air signs are very intellectual that's very much straight from western astrology and then of mm-hmm. course there's a tiny there's a tiny bit of avatar of the last airbender in there did you <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, and I, I feel like if you watched it and you write, there's just no way that that's not going to be in your <laughs> somewhere in there. It was su- such good storytelling, but, um, but yeah, it's world building is a complicated thing, especially when you start in fantasy, you have all the room that you need, but in romance, you really have to sprinkle it in. And I did find it challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think doing it without, you know, making it like, how, how do you build a world and put the story at the center of it and not just sort of like drop lots of information? I mean, you have like a, you know, Brandon Sanderson fantasy where it's like, <laughs> like a lot of world building, which the story maybe takes a backseat to, <laughs> which, yes. you know, a lot of people obviously love, but that I think one thing that could be critiqued about his writing, depending on your preferences. And so I bet with romance, right, the, the characters are yeah so central. And, you know, the, um, the thing about world building that I think every writer runs into is if you've done it, you know way more about your world than any reader is ever going to want to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, um, if you've ever seen any of the pictures of like George R. R. Martin's whiteboards or whatever, um, where he tracked the family history of everybody, like that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. But you kind of have to know it. Otherwise, when you go in and you're talking about something historical and you're just throwing something in at random, some some amazing reader will call you out on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll be like, that doesn't track on the timeline so yeah <laughs> yeah I try to be like nice about it like I'll sometimes notice inconsistencies <laughs> in books where I'm like wait a minute <laughs> but you well you know and it's gonna happen okay. I mean I feel like every writer especially really prolific writers yeah. especially if they have an extremely long series do you know I'm starting to run into the problem now where I, ha- mm-hmm. I have to have a list of names that I've used otherwise uh, oh, yeah. my, my poor editor, she, yeah. she wrote me just recently and she was like, what, um, do we, do we say days? Because, you know, I've based time on this turning of the wheel. So that means there's no clocks, which means there's no seconds. There's no minutes. Mm-hmm. There's no hours and week. <laughs> we don't use week or month. <laughs> So I just like to make things really hard for myself. <laughs> and, um, so <laughs> you have to remember yeah. stuff like that. And it gets, and people talk about something called a story Bible, which is, mm-hmm. is basically an author's own mm-hmm. guide, their small Wikipedia <laughs> to their own world. And you have to have that if you're writing a series. I think if you're writing one or two books, mm-hmm. you can probably get away with a little less of that. But in a series, you just, I don't know. I always thought that authors just, uh, made yeah. it up out of whole cloth you know they're just like yep it's but that's not <laughs> it's very it's a very systematic process yeah yeah that's interesting well you know it reminds me of a of a funny story i heard once mm-hmm. in terms of kind of world building and then you're stuck with something yes you know, the show battlestar galactica the more oh, really interesting recent i hear they might be doing another reboot of it which is exciting but yeah 
Yeah, but uh, but the most recent one. So apparently when they were shooting the pilot episode, because they didn't necessarily expect it mm-hmm. to turn into as big of a thing as it was, somebody thought it would be funny to cut the edges oh, off God. all the paper so you get the like <laughs> blunted edges on the papers that they read. So they did that for the pilot episode and then it got picked up and every episode after that, anytime there was paper on screen, somebody had to cut the edges <laughs> off the paper. Like the off the corner. <laughs> yep, that's so. that pretty much sums it up. Don't yeah. <laughs> uh, my my dad used to say, "Don't don't ever do something once you don't want to do for the rest of your life." Kind of meaning like right. uh, getting saddled with being the one that folds the fitted sheets in your house, you know, things like that. That's what he meant, but um, it works in writing too. Don't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't throw those details in unless you want to do it for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. No, I think that's good advice. All right. So thank you so much for chatting with me today, Jen. And we are going to stay after and do a little bonus Q&A session. So for those of you who are patrons, you'll have access to some special bonus content. Check out the Patreon in the show notes if you're interested in joining and hearing what else we're going to chat about here. But this has been really fun. It's been interesting talking about the different pieces of fantasy romance and getting your perspective as an author, I think, is really interesting. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I always enjoy chatting with you. Yeah, this was great. I'm glad glad this worked out. So again, everybody, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany. You can follow us on Twitter at Chapter 3 Podcast, and you can also find me on YouTube at Beautifully Bookish. Bethany. The next episode will be available in two weeks. Thanks for listening.